I'm excited today because we have one of our elders speaking. Um, as you know, uh, my wife's here today. She hasn't been here since the middle of May, so we're glad she's here. And, um, you know, last week, on top of everything else that she's been dealing with, her mom passed away a week ago Thursday. And so all this week, 19 of our family gathered on the Jersey Shore for a time of remembrance all week long. And so uh, Aaron volunteered to preach because he didn't think I would have time. And I'm so grateful for that, that we could focus on the family. And that was uh, fantastic. So I'm thankful for our elders. You know, it says in the Bible in 1 Timothy 3 that elders are apt to teach. And Aaron is good at breaking the word. And we're thankful for Dale Von Toon and all the shepherding he does. Thank you for Mike and Janice Fenley, who drove all the way to O'Hare Airport last night and picked us up and brought us back when our plane was canceled. So our elders do lots and lots of great things in our church. So today, we're going to hear a little bit about discernment, and let's give a warm welcome to Aaron Barfels as he comes to open the word. Thank you, Pastor Ed, and thank you, Carrie and Andy, for leading us in song this morning. I hope you were blessed by that, um, not because melody is wonderful to hear, but because of how it reminded us of how great our God is, right? We started off with awesome God, and then uh, the Lord Almighty, who can stop him, and the one who fights our battles for us. Um, we just heard about um, all the refugees in the world, the 82 million or so that are displaced. God's fighting their battles too, right? And while man's heart plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps. Um, and we're reminded of that you know, this week. Everybody's plans just kind of turn different on us, right? And so we just we trust the Lord and we love his provision uh, and for laying our lives out in such a way that we can handle it, right? As long as we trust in him and sing Hosanna to him. So I'd like to start with a word of prayer and then we'll open his word. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are humbled to be considered your children. We're humbled to have you as not just our Father, but of our Savior, of our Redeemer, of the judge who has called down innocence upon us through your son and god that should just change our hearts and change our minds to to worship you and to live in awe of you and to live in obedience of you and father we thank you for your word and we pray that you would use it to touch our hearts where we are at today father that you would use this message to prepare us for tomorrow and that you would help us to overcome our past through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today's message is called Renew Your Mind. If you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. I'm not a sermon preparer like pastor, so you'll see no slides, you'll see no outline you'll get something from a message. but we <laughs> So bear with me as you go through that, and I will have you turn in your, in your Bible or your phone app to, uh, to some scriptures this morning. So the title, Renew Your Mind, you probably, when you first heard it, knew exactly where I was going to head. 
uh, with this uh, verse this morning. It's a very popular verse, a very common verse. Um, but I hope that today we will use it to help um, invigorate us to renew our minds in a different way with a different focus um, this morning. Before we can understand the, the power of this verse, we need to read it. So let's start with that. Romans chapter 12, and I'll do verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service, act of service or worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So to those of us who are no strangers to this passage, nor to the book of Romans, we know that God is talking to Christians in this passage. The audience has been made fairly clear that it is born-again children of God that he is addressing. And we can see that because he gives them really good pointers. First of all, Paul calls us brothers. Brothers, brethren. Some translations say brothers and sisters. The idea that this is a, this is a group either of a common family or of a religious group. And in the case of Christianity, both are true, are they not? The next phrase he has is, by the mercies of God, or some translations even say, because of the mercies of God. So he is speaking to a group of people who have received God's mercies. They know God's mercies intimately. And then he says that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. So these people are also spiritual people. These are people who have a spiritual relationship. These are ones that can, as Jesus said, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So we know very clearly from verse 1 that he is speaking to believers. He is speaking to Christians, a select group of people from the world. Verse 2 gives us, through its first negative, an additional clue about who he's speaking to and provides some force to this passage. He says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. So this negative is setting up a contrast. He is contrasting the hearers with this group called the world. So there's some type of contrast that he is giving here. In order for us, I think, to understand this passage, we need to understand a bit more what he means by world. Today, we were introduced to world relief, right? Where we're, we're made aware that this planet is filled with people, lots of people, different cultures from all over the place. But what is meant by the world here? Take your Bibles and flip over to Romans chapter 1. I think we really have to grasp what this is so we will understand how important Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is for us. Romans 1.18 starts off, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So in this passage, who are the recipients of God's wrath? It's the unrighteous, the ungodly. Does that include us? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We all know ungodliness and unrighteousness, right? When we read this passage, give a consideration that what Paul is talking about, he is talking about humanity. He is talking about sinners, okay? He says in in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, the unrighteous, the ungodly, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fool, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things." Some of this you can see reminiscent all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right, where Adam bought into a lie. And he saw that creature was perhaps more important and to be listened to more than God himself. And because of that, he exchanges the worship that is due to God, and he gives it to the creature. He gives it to himself, even. Right? Because he can be like God. This is a good thing. And so right from the very beginning, man is under God's wrath. This is what God is talking about with the world in Romans 12, 2. So what, what wrath is spoken of here? Now, for sure, death, because Adam and Eve were promised that they would die, both physically and spiritually. Physically, death began. Spiritually, death happened immediately upon them. But this passage talks about a different type of wrath as well. Let's look at what this this wrath is. It says that God gave them up. This doesn't mean he just threw his hands up in the air and let them go. In fact, some translations say they give him over. See, there are only two sides you can be on. You're either on God's side or you're not. And when he gives you up, you're on a side. And this is what happens in this passage. It says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up, or gave them over, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They engaged in idolatry. They gave their attention and their worship to something other than God. And so he gives them up to the impurity of their hearts. Verse 26, it says, For this reason God gave them up, or gave them over, to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
Now, verses 26 through 27 speak specifically of homosexuality being a giving up to do things that ought not to be done. And many times we want to focus on that one, but I don't want to draw attention to that so much as I want to draw attention to verse 28 to 32. Look at this list. It says, because of the debased mind doing things that ought not to be done, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, Really? Wanting somebody else's stuff? <laughs> wow. Malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So the evidence of impure hearts, dishonorable passions, and debased mind is not only committing the acts mentioned above, but it's also approving of those who practice them. Impure hearts, debased minds, call this approval, tolerance, and love. Isaiah warns us in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. These verses are giving us an understanding of what is meant by the world. Now, I began with verses 18 through 32, which is the bad news, right? We're indicted in this list. Human kind is indicted in this list. We have all worshipped something other than God, and because of that, his wrath is upon us. We are in this list. But that's the bad news. The good news, Paul gives us that first. So if you're ever asked, I want the good news or the bad news first, do what Paul does. He gives the good news first, right? His good news is, in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jew first and to the Greek, to those of us who know our New Testament, that's the world. Right? There are two groups of people in society at this time. That was Jews and that was everybody else, Greeks, Gentiles, whatever you want to call them. The haves, the have-nots, the insiders, the outsiders, the Jews and the Greeks. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, Paul begins this list, this sobering list, this list that should bring fear and terror. To be under the wrath of the Creator God, the Almighty God, the God that we sang about. The one who is worthy of all of our praise the one who fights all of the battles, the one who plans our steps and sets our paths in front of us, to have him against you is, is a very bad situation to be in. So Paul says, the gospel. The gospel is what causes there to be no shame. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, 
In other words, the payment due to the unrighteous and ungodly of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 is death. But that verse goes on to say, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul again says in Romans 5, verses 6 through 10, For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The gospel here is, is shared to us in such a way that we understand and recognize that God's forgiveness, that his acceptance, that his reconciliation comes at his giving, right? It does not come from anything that we do. We read what we do, verses 8 through 32. That's what we do, and that places us under God's wrath. But God in his mercy... God in his mercy, while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. While we are his enemies, he reconciles us to him. When we look at Romans 12, 2, and we say world, let us not think that's them, right? Because to those of us in Christ, that was us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you. He wants to remind them there's nothing in and of yourself enduring. In fact, the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God and is an enemy and cannot please him no matter what it tries. And yet, it says in chapter 2, 11, you were this way. It says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the old is gone. Those who are in Jesus have received the forgiveness of sins through him and have him as their Lord of their life and are now dead to the world and have new life in him. So, when Paul is talking about the world, to Christians, he's talking about the past. Right? The world is behind. You're dead to that. But he's also talking about the present existence of the unregenerate in our world, right? And he reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't war against flesh and blood. So lest we think other people are the focus of our attention as enemies, that is absolutely incorrect. It is the principalities, the powers of the air, right? It is those who are deceiving. It is the, it is the mind of the prince of the power of this air, this world being Satan, right? And so we're indicted because we're humans, but we praise the Lord for our new life. And God sets up this contrast in this passage, and he says, because there's this contrast, because you are no longer 
of the world. Jesus in John 17 is praying. It's called the high priestly prayer. I would encourage you to read it this afternoon. It will, it will bless your soul. But in there, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, I pray specifically for them. They are in the world, but they're not of the world. He says there's a contrast here. You have given them to me out of the world, and they are now mine. I pray for them. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. And Paul is echoing that here. He's saying there is a contrast. So, the negative, going back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the negative phrase in this um, should be very frightening to us. Remember, if we're not, in the wor- we're not of the world, but we're in it, because this phrase says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, a little grammar refresher. This is in the passive voice. The verb is acting upon the subject. The subject are Christians, and they're being acted upon. He says, be not conformed. That means you do nothing, you get conformed. This is a verb that acts upon you. This isn't something that that you have to go out of your way to have happen. This just will happen unless the subject does some other activity. Okay, So this should be frightening to us. Lest, Lest we sit here and think, oh good, I'm a child of God and now I'm safe and clear. Things are okay. Life is going to be a bed of roses, and I will not mess up, and I will forever be not of this world. Hmm. He, gives, he says, do not be conformed. This is something that he does give us, the power to not be conformed. But, but do, be, do be worried about this phrase, because it can happen. It can happen without your knowledge, without your intention. But the next statement says, be transformed. Okay? I'm not going to go into the difference between conforming and transforming. We've, we've heard that a lot. But transforming is the idea of you are something new, right? You're not looking like something old to be molded or conformed, but you are something new. And this is a new life that we have in Christ to be transformed. And transformation takes time, right? Those of us who watched the Transformers movies or have Transformer toys as a boy, they were fun, right? You, you would pull the wheels off. You, you would flip the fender up. You have legs. Pretty soon, it became a robot. It didn't look like the, the truck or whatever it was before. It became something different. And that's what, uh, that's what Paul is telling us here is that there needs to be a transformation. Again, this also is in the passive voice, though, which provides some encouragement to us, I think, because that transformation is, again, something that you don't actively do. It happens. It happens as a result of something else. So the, the conforming will happen to you, and the transforming will happen to you. Where is your control? What's the input? What does the subject do to shift the balance, whether it's a conforming or a transforming? And that's what comes next in the verse. It says, by the renewing of your mind. This is what I want to uh, focus the rest of our time on this morning. 
is the renewing of the mind. We'll look at this in two different ways. One is the conforming side, and one is the transforming side. Because as a believer in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come, but do we not still have the old nature? We do. We haven't died, and we haven't been resurrected. We don't have our glorified bodies. We still carry around the old man. And Paul tells us over and over, you have to cast off the old man. You have to forsake and put away and put on the new. He says, the flesh and the spirit war against one another. This is, this is a battle that we will struggle with this side of eternity. And that's okay because God has designed it this way. Right? And God says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And therefore, this is a battle that you will win because the battle is the Lord's, as we sang this morning. And he fights it, but he leaves us enlisted in it. Okay? So, how can we be conformed to this world? First of all, we're in it. Right? We swim in these waters. We hear it all over the place. You cannot escape the world. In fact, Jesus prayed for the disciples, don't take them out of the world. He says, I want them in the world, just protect them from it. Okay, protect them from this. So one of the things that happens is there's a certain philosophy in the world, right? We call this a worldview, a worldview based upon man's understanding of things. That would be the secular worldview or a worldview that is based on what the Scripture is, what Christ has taught, what the Holy Spirit leads us in our lives. It's a different worldview. But we hear the world's philosophies all of the time, right? They're around there. They're the backdrop for laws. They're the backdrop for policies. They're the backdrop for what's politically correct and what's not politically correct. You know, you name it, there's a philosophy behind it. And so those philosophies are out there. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So nothing new. We don't have any, any new uh, battle or struggle today that wasn't in existence since the garden, right? But these philosophies are out there, and Paul warns us in Colossians to don't be taken captive by them. Another way to be conformed to this world is just doing what comes naturally. That's a, that's a song. I would sing it for you, but I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> but isn't that a philosophy, right? Hey, I just do what comes naturally because that must be the right thing to do. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He doesn't speak too highly of what comes naturally, does he, in this passage. We looked at what comes naturally in Romans chapter 1 because God gave them over <laughs> to what's just going to come naturally. And it's a distortion of what God desires 
from his people and his creation. Another way to be conformed is by believing everything you think, feel, or desire. So don't. If you don't want to be conformed, don't believe everything you think, feel, or desire. Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then James 1, 13 through 16. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we have desires within us, but we have got to master those desires as well. And by the Holy Spirit's power within us, we have mastery. Right? We are no longer slaves to sin. The sinful nature isn't eradicated, but we're not slaves anymore. It is a defeated master, and, and we're not to place ourselves back under that. We place ourselves under that when we trust it, when we lean on it, when we go to it. And he says, don't do that. And then finally, to not be conformed, we need to guard our hearts and minds against the world's teaching. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So, what are ways we ingest the world's teachings? It may just be a conversation on the sidewalk, right, with a neighbor. It may be as simple as that. Are we keeping our mind engaged through the Bible, which we'll get to with the transforming side of things? Or are we, because we don't want to create waves, agree? Um, how about music? Some music has a way of infiltrating. It sounds good, it's catchy, but the words we ignore for a while, and then pretty soon we're singing the words because it goes along with the tune and all this. TikTok, Facebook groups. Fox News, oh no, <laughs> right, what, what is the input that we have of the world's philosophies into our minds? We need to be, be careful, guard ourselves. I don't say shut it all off, but we do need to guard ourselves from this. Acts 17 tells us of the Bereans, right, where Paul comes and speaks to them, and he gives them the word, and the, the word is, is received happily, and they take it back home with them, and then they open their scriptures, and they go, is this true? Is this really what happens? And Paul is very offended. No, he's not. He says these people were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they knew that even Paul, teaching as an apostle, must agree with God, what God had revealed already in the scriptures. And he called that very noble. This is the beauty of having a church body, right? This is the beauty of having um, elders for pastor to work with, is because as Christians in the greater community even, we can keep each other in check, right? We can help each other because we have blind spots all over the place. The world's teaching us about those blind spots, right? To be sensitive to those. And so we need one another to help us um, investigate, help us to be careful. But I'll finish with the, the transforming by the renewal of your minds. 
I don't want to give you the wrong impression that we don't already have a new mind. We do. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right? So the believer has been born again and therefore does have a new mind. He has a new spirit within him. The, the heart of stone has been removed and a heart of flesh is in. A heart that understands God and understands his ways and a, a heart that will um, follow him. The old self, the sin nature, still exists. It must be put to death. And the new self must be put on. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. I'll highlight a few uh, phrases throughout that, but it's a fantastic paragraph talking about this, this battle and how to win this battle. It says that in verse 2, we need to set our minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. In verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists things that we should put, a, put away from us, such as sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry. In verse 9, he says, put on the old self with its practices. Verse 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When you come across the passage in the Bible and it says, let something happen. Do you know you, you have the ability to let that happen? If God tells you, he gives you the ability to do this. Don't think that you are um, helpless in this situation. When he says, let your heart not be troubled, it's troubled, don't let it be. That was a side note. The next one, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So we must, we must feed our minds, and we must feed our minds daily. Scripture, right? God tells um, Joshua in Joshua 1.8, meditate day and night continually. James 1.23 tells us that the scriptures are like a mirror. Now, how many of you fix your hair in the morning, put on your makeup, shave, or cut your hair, and you first start off by examining yourself in the mirror, and then you put the mirror away and go to town, right? I'm looking out. I don't see anybody who does that because you all look very presentable. <laughs> Our memories aren't good enough. So look at the mirror, put it down, and then go to work. This is what the Word of God is like. He says, I don't want you to, on Sunday morning, get the Word, put it down, and then go to work. We have got to constantly look at it, right? And when we're not looking at it, it's in our heart that we may not sin against God, right? We're thinking about it, we're meditating, we're using that as our Berean filter in life. Psalm 119 focuses on the Word of God, and in verse 105 it says that his, the Word is a light to our path, right? How many of us would choose to walk through a snake-infested path in the jungle by flashing the light on, examining things, turning it off, and then proceeding? Right? We wouldn't do that. 
you would leave the light on the entire time. Again, God's word has to go with us the entire time. This is a daily thing. This isn't a Sunday morning only activity. We must be diligent about that. So we regularly feed on God's word. We also do that through, our, through the local church. We have one another. God gifted the church with, with pastors and teachers to guide us through this. And some of those pastors and teachers are no longer with us, right? They can be dead and alive. God has given the church very good teachers throughout the years. But I want to give you the encouragement of being discerning, right? We, we must discern. We must discern. We must set our minds to discern. Even as the Bereans did, they sought to discern Paul's teachings. We must think through these things. And so you're going to find yourself in probably one of three categories this morning. One category is those that are in and of the world and therefore, a stranger to the gospel and under God's wrath. If that describes you this morning, perhaps today is the day that God is calling for you to turn to him and to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may find yourself in a second category where you're not of the world because of your faith in Jesus, but having a life that is characterized more by being conformed to it than being transformed. And if so, perhaps this morning, God has persuaded you to forsake the sources of influence and authorities in your life that has hindered the renewal of your mind and turned toward his word and to commitment to daily be in it and allow it to change your thinking. Or you may find yourself in category three where you're not of the world and you are actively taking steps to have your mind renewed. If this is the case, then perhaps today you have received encouragement this morning to increase your efforts to renew your mind, to commit to remaining steadfast in your daily renewal through his word and to lead someone else through this journey. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful to you for your word. God, we are thankful for the Holy Spirit to bring your word to our understanding to bring it to our mind, to let it change us and to guide us through this life. And Lord, sometimes we're just bad planners. Sometimes we just have our priorities messed up and we don't put our emphasis where we need to put our emphasis. God, I pray that you would encourage each one of us today to commit ourselves to your word, commit ourselves to carrying around a Berean filter such that your word that has been placed in our hearts and our minds would help us to live in, in the world around us daily, minute by minute, moment by moment, in a way that brings you glory and honor. Father, help us not to be lazy in our thinking. Help us not to be, to be lazy in, um, in, in allowing ourselves to be swayed by our own desires, by our own feelings, by our own emotions. Father, but may we put those even under captivity. God, we thank you for your patience. We fail every day, and yet you extend a hand of love and gratitude towards us, a faithfulness to us, Father, and we are, we are so grateful for that. And we pray, God, that you would 
um, not um, allow us to fall away too far. Father, we ask that you would bring us back to you. We ask, God, that your word would, would be on our lips and on our hearts, that we can share that, uh, that great truth with others as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.